It's Sunday, April 3rd, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a baseball podcast interrupted by a movie discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, all these years, and it's only now that we find out that second base was in the wrong place all the time. The 2022 season will see umpires announcing their decisions and reversals while Nippon Baseball finds creative ways to present their product. Albert Pujols is back with the Cardinals, and Jacob deGrom's injury may sink the Mets' chances this season. Tom and I make our predictions for 2022, and we'll talk Cubs and Sox all before our popcorn discussion on the fallout from the latest Oscars fiasco. Our movie of the week is Under the Same Moon. Tom, how are you? Great to, great to see you. I'm doing, doing very well. Uh, not tanned, but rested and ready for the show. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, so my wife and I were off this week for spring break. But oh, we that's were, right. You mentioned that. You mentioned that last week. Usually, other years we would have gone somewhere, made a trip right. to a warmer climate. But this year, you know, financially, just didn't work. So we stuck around. So what my wife and I did was we go downtown to have lunch. Really nice restaurant. I saw this place in the city, Boqueria, in the Fulton Market District. So if you go south on Halstead from Grand, yeah. you know, and then you get to Fulton Market, you'll see it right there on the right. Right. Tapas, a Spanish restaurant. Spanish food is very, very good. So, so you know, thought this would be a nice idea. And it was. I mean, the, yeah. the food was amazing. What blew me away, though, was just the bill. And it's yeah. just evidence of just how much prices have increased and right. how expensive it is to go downtown to, 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 to have dinner or lunch or whatever. And uh, but that was the most expensive tab I've ever had for two people. Are you serious? Seriously, including dinners? That that's saying something. That's the biggest tab I ever like. Whoa! Like I yeah. Like the Seinfeld bit where you just pick up the check, like you're talking, right? The check and your eyes just go, you know, they just bulge out, like you know. But I I remember I remember in the '90s uh, when I was traveling and entertaining, I came back to the owner of my company calling me into his office saying, what's this $2,100 strip club bill for, for three people? Ow! And then, then he said, I've said this before on the show. He said to me, one of us will not be working here tomorrow and it's not going to be me. <laughs> That's great. That yeah. is tremendous. Yeah. So I, I know about those bills and I know that inflation has just... Uh, we're even seeing it here in this small, small town that we live in. Let me tell you that the, the to eat out is totally different than it was when we first moved here 20, 20 some years ago. Um, well, what so. you're doing is you're paying in addition to tipping, you are paying their salary as well. You're paying a better hourly wage, to the servers and the cooks and the chefs who keep the business going. And you know, that's where that money is, is going to like, if you, well, and food costs, food costs are up too. costs are up too. You're paying for that too, but you're also paying extra. So you're paying the food cost, the the increase there, and you're paying the salaries of the people, you know, who are waiting on you. And that's finally, I mean, as someone who's walked those, uh, walked those floors before, I think that's actually kind of a good thing. So uh, the meal was by the way, fantastic. Boqueria. If you ever get a chance in the Fulton Market District, downtown Chicago, you'll love it. As, as long as I'm flush with cash, well, I will, yeah, I will exactly. go there. And, and speaking <laughs> about spending a lot of money, Wednesday of this week, I was awoken from 
probably this reoccurring Anne Margaret dream I usually have before I wake up every day by this crackling sound of this large tree branch breaking and taking out our power and cable in one fell swoop. Um, and the interesting thing is that that once you hear that crackle noise, we'll be on the lookout. We live, we're surrounded by um, uh, trees that were planted by FDR back in, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm serious, I'm dead serious. They're, they're WPA trees that go back uh, almost a century at this point. Um, and so I'm outside, I'm outside and I'm really missing Chicago at this point. And all I could hear the birds chirping were, was, Burrito, 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 burrito. And then another bird would say, right, 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 right. Burrito, burrito. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm in the middle of this tiny hamlet. Yeah. And their, their idea of a burrito is Taco Bell. That's what I was thinking about during this, this unbelievable uh, uh, power outage that we had. The great Let me just news ask is you though, what's interesting is in one fell swoop, yeah. you know, in the act of one, one great sound, one great crash. Yeah. Suddenly you go from 2022 yeah. to 1922. Exactly. You know I mean? or, or even 1522, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. But, but the incredible thing is in this bucolic, uh, you know, little hamlet, um, within two hours, the power was back up and running. Oh, good. And, and, good. and that cable would have been up. It took till like six o'clock that night because he had so many stops to make. It was yeah. it was like an ice storm. But that's the part we were taken with in this town. How quickly they pick themselves back up and and you know because they've they've got you know mucho experience with yeah, they, with uh, inclement weather and, and so forth over the years and trees falling and all that kind of stuff. But it was at first you know you start to think like how valuable your internet connection is and how it's a lifeline to my job, to, to everything. And so um, it was a very interesting day, but, but uh, it, it wrapped itself up real nicely, but it was just funny. The birds yelling burrito to me. I mean, you'd have to pack up your laptop and go sit in the Taco Bell or something. You know, That's right. And a McDonald's and look like a, a complete loser that has to like buy a, a small coffee every two hours. Do you remember when? Do you remember when we did the podcast or we did the conversation and you you drove your yeah. car yeah. to a, to a McDonald's? Yeah, here in town. Your here. wife, yeah, right. Was, Which is otherwise known as the greatest restaurant in this town, McDonald's. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> nicknames, you know, like uh, Dizzy Dean and His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. What's the fellow's names on the team? Well, now let's see. We have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I'm saying who's on first. What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You know the fellow's names? Well, I should. Well, who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The first baseman. Who is on first? That's what I want to find out. That's what I'm telling you, man. You got a first baseman? Certainly. Who's playing there? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Yes, who? On first base. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Look, all I'm trying to find out is what is the fellow's name on first base? Oh, now, wait a minute. Let's straighten that out. What is on second I'm base? not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Oh, he's on third. Now, we're not talking about... How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. I mentioned his name. Yes. If I mentioned a third baseman's name, who did I say is on third? Oh, no. Who's on first? Never mind first. I want to know what's the fellow's name on third base. But what's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go. All right. So let's uh, let's get into the peanuts here. We'll open the bag right up. and and And... We've just found out that in the second half of the minor league season this year, they're experimenting with something that uh, I was unaware of until now. And this is something that reaches far, far back into the history of the game. And that's the fact that they're going to move second base in the minor leagues. Yeah. Because if you imagine the diamond of a baseball field, second base is actually misplaced. 
Okay. Correct. Think about first and third base that are nestled right up against the baselines. Okay. That's right. That line from the outfield side of the bat. Okay. That line extends to second base, but it doesn't extend to the exterior, to the outfield edges of the bat. No, right. it extends to the center of the bag and then makes the right angle and heads from the center of the bag through to third base. Third base gets it right there at their outfield side of the bag and then back down the line again towards home. So what they intend to do is basically move second base towards home plate so that it squares that angle. Additionally, they're going to expand the size of the bags. Right. So at the end of the day, the bag will be 13.5 inches closer to first and third bases in the, in the second half of the minor leagues. Now, this may come to baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball is still at the original dimensions. But I was always – what surprised me was I would never known that that was the case. Did you? No, no, not until the athletic put that graph in there. And I, I can actually, which I highly recommend you all read, but go ahead. I, which, which kind of visually lays it out for you. I didn't know, but I do know that the, as we've talked about over the last few years, the minor leagues have kind of used themselves as the Petri dish of baseball to yeah, conduct various. Um, I mean, I, I think they're, the first up until this point and only at the professional level to use robotic umpires. They've been doing that now for a while. So this year there's a variety of things in there, but here's the interesting thing. So they did it for the second half of last year and there was a slight increase in stolen bases, but yeah. it wasn't a, it wasn't a overwhelming increase in stolen bases, but now people know because people didn't know that it, that, that, that existed. Yeah. Players right. did not get it. Now yeah. they know. So now the thought is that in this, in the minor leagues, you're going to see a big spike. I doubt it. I, and the reason is, is because you're prepping for the major leagues. You have to have what I would call major league behaviors. And, and, and that includes the managers too. And so um, baseball is trying to get to, to, to get a pitch clock and they want to have uh, more activity within the, within the, the, the diamond itself, which I'm is, all, I'm which all for is, it, by the way. No, this, this, this may be the best thing that ever happened to the game. Um, since, since Vita Blue. The, 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 I'm really, really encouraged by this whole sort of trend. Because yeah. now that teams know about it, okay, now that they know, now teams are going to run more. You know, once this comes to the major leagues, the idea of advancing uh, a runner, you know, without doing anything other than just taking the base, not having to put it in, you know, put put the ball in play, not having to hit it, not having right. to do anything like that. Teams will now start to go for it because they'll see the value in getting to that extra base. Okay, and so what that happens is now the defense has to work harder to keep the runner at bay, and they can't shift as much. You know what I mean? They have to kind of play things a certain way you know, because they have to prevent against the steal and also the hit and run. If they have to prevent it, you know, they have to do both. So all, all I think true. all this puts, it puts more, I think, intentional action, intentional action into the game on the part of the offense, you know, to move runners in that way, not just to just, you know, smash home runs, that there would be a value in taking that extra base, you know? So I, I, I think I'm, I'm encouraged by this. We'll see what happens. But, but I was a big fan. You know, I remember I was in college in St. Louis 
when the Cardinals were in the eighties had these great teams that, you know, they didn't hit for power. All whitey ball, whitey ball, yeah, whitey ball. They just stole bases and they played great defense. Yeah. And I would like to see a return of that kind of intentional baseball. I love it. Well, and the other thing that was great about the, that Cardinals team is, and, and the Tigers during that time is that they were driven by great managers. And so anytime that you can have the manager play almost as the same role on the field as the players do, that's always a good thing. I, I feel like in the last 20, 30 years, the role of the manager has been getting diminished and diminished. Um, and there's very few guys that are managers like Whitey Herzog was like jo uh, Joe Madden comes to mind. He definitely is a throwback to those guys. But so I'll bet you though, in 10 years from now, let's just say the major leagues adapts everything that we just talked about in 10 years from now, we'll probably go, Oh yeah, they did that. I'll bet you. In other words, I'll bet you the change is slight, like in, in regards to, uh, increased offense and so forth. And the reason for that is because we still live in the three out the world of three outcome baseball. And until that changes and it goes back to how the teams really played in the eighties with eighties, which was a lot of station to station baseball. Then I think you'll see, you know, uh, who, who was the guy on, on the, that was great on that Cardinals team. Was it McGee who had the, the stolen it was, it was McGee and Coleman, you Coleman. Know? I'm sorry. Coleman. Vince Coleman, Col Coleman made a living. Uh, out of playing that style of baseball, there's not a lot of guys today in the majors that remind me of Vince Coleman. I guess I would say it like that. The, so uh, one of the rules that is uh, coming uh, is that uh, the umpires are going to announce the uh, replay decisions, and they're, they're going to be mic'd up. Um, yeah. Which, which I this think is, is it, what we're seeing. Well, we've always seen in the NFL. We've always well, no, we've seen it. No, we've seen it in every sport in North America. Uh, but I mean, but baseball the, but is the last to do it. <laughs> it is the last. But the NFL was the first. Right. The NFL was always making their decisions, and then yeah. finally, I well, actually, no. The 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 NHL was the very first, believe it or not. But but really, but, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Back like in '91, they were the first to have. Uh, but but so it's just interesting that you're going to start to see a Joe West or uh, maybe another despised umpire no. um, have to kind of overturn their own call potentially, which could lead to like disgusting comments like, you know, overturn, this damn thing was overturned or something like that. I can see where the umpires are going to get pissed off. You know what it's going to do though? It's going to, it's going to let us get to know the umpires. Yeah, We're going to well, finally yeah. get to know the umpires. You know, uh, how often do, I mean, apart from Joe West, you know, can you recall a single umpire speaking to you, speaking to cameras about anything that you could sort of understand and recognize his personality apart from one or two? I couldn't. So I so just remember, know. I think it was John McSherry that fell face first into the ground and died on the field. Yeah, and thinking that, was, that, you know, the umpires okay. might need to follow the president's physical fitness recommendations because uh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, you know what that reminds me, you mentioned John McSherry, and I'm reminded of an incident that happened when uh, Pete Rose was managing the Reds and he had been thrown out by McSherry in a game and he was talking about it afterwards. And, and, you know, they were like, well, what was it that got you run Pete? And he was like saying, well, you know, uh, I told him that he missed the call and he said he didn't miss the call. And I said, listen, if that was a cheeseburger, <laughs> he said, that's what he ran. And, and he said this, Rose said this to, you know, a group of reporters. I remember it clearly, yeah. you know, so. Anyway. Well, and the thing is, Rose actually had the over on how the odds <laughs> that he would get thrown out of the game.
when he had bet earlier that parlay. I, yeah, I would imagine. Uh, so, so uh, do you, you see this article about Japanese baseball is now kind of it almost to me looks like they're turning into the WWF. Uh, they've got managers kind of entering the stadium on holocrafts. What's yeah, that all about? Yeah. No, I think that's cool. I think, the Jap well, the Japanese are sort of, you know, they, they could be kind of outrageous in their own way. And I think that this is good. And I think one thing that the Japanese do far better than the United States in, as far as baseball is, is the way the fans participate in the game that there are these organized cheers and they have these big plastic kind of cones that they put on their hands. They're plastic and they're hard and smash them together right. and they make noise. And, and, and it's that kind of organized rehearsed or whatever, you know, a, a, a participation with what's going on in the field. And that we need to have here in the United States. But you know why that is though, is because I think baseball is maybe the national pastime in Japan. Well, it, yeah, it, it, I, I mean, if you yeah. think about it, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of sports, and they're they're very, very talented in a lot of sports. Particularly, it's almost as popular as sumo wrestling, I'm sure. Yeah, you know? right. But but what I'm saying is, is that it's more important to their fans than yeah. I think baseball is to our fans. Baseball yeah. is is very close to being kicked to the trash heap of history. No, it, it, no. It, well, it is in some respects as far as the the fan base. Um, and so yeah. I'm encouraged to see that that Japan is not taking it so seriously by having hovercrafts first of all i wouldn't want to sign the insurance waiver that that manager had to sign to fly into that stadium but it, it just was kind of it's kind of interesting I'm, I'm kind of with you that it's why not why not do stuff like i mean that? they I, I also i look at like um the 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 premier league in england you know in the way their fans sing songs the whole place they're all singing the same song you know, yeah. chains. Right. And, and, and I think the Cubs especially could benefit from something like that. The Red Sox, that kind of team, even the Yankees fans singing is um, there should be more of that. And it should yeah. happen within the game itself, not just during the seventh inning stretch, you know, well, well they could get creative. Like when the manager gets thrown out, they could maybe shoot them out by a rocket or something like that, you know, put like, you know, put some more carnival acts into the game of baseball, but you're right. You know, outside of uh, into, like, I know Boston has sweet Carol. There's certain things in certain stadiums that um, their fans have their own songs that they've been singing. So um, all of that stuff is good. Um, so it, some bad news again, occurred yeah. uh, back to back years and we're getting ready to call our teams. And, and this really impacted my decision because I really like the Mets this year. However, Jacob deGrom has shoulder tightness. And the thinking is it's going to be a couple of months for him maybe before he comes back. That's a huge hit to the Mets. That and the fact that Scherzer, he's, he's a little sore too, which again, at this point in camp, pitchers sometimes have dead arms, they have other issues, but this cannot be encouraging for the Mets who are expected to do very well this year. They are expected to do well. And, and that's a big blow to them because the Mets have to, I think, get it done with pitching. And uh, the Phillies are suddenly looking really good in that division. The Braves obviously won the world series last year. They'll be a factor. I mean, yeah. how could they not? The Phil you know, so, Phillies yeah, are going to be better, right? Yeah, they're just going to need to come up with another hot young pitcher to get it done. And, you know, that might take a miracle. I don't think they, they have it in there. Well, not, not a Cy Young caliber. Maybe impossible for the human arm to do the way it's expected, you know, over the course of, of, of seasons and years for starting pitching. It's just too much. 
Now, I do well just want to mention that Albert Pujols is returning to the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I I assume this will be one last year. Yes. And they're going to have three guys. I think it's uh, who's the uh, pitcher, Carpenter. Uh, and then Wayne, Wainwright. Wainwright. I'm sorry, Wainwright, and then Molina. The three of these old Cardinal Lions will be going off into the sunset. I think that it'll be a tough year in St. Louis because of this. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the the if the best thing about your team is three old players who are going to retire. Yeah. Yeah, that's you. you the, you know, the three, the, you're right. The three amigos. That is true. Three amigos. I mean, and they're all Hall of Famers. <laughs> and believe me, if Molina's playing, he will play respectably. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But no Pujols could be a disaster, you know. Well, I know you've been kind of down on him the last few years. Um, however, I do think having a DH in the National League, it provides. A DH a, in the American League, and he was awful. Provi- provides a job for a guy like Pools because I don't yeah. believe day to day he he's like Cab like Cabby in Detroit has ceded the position to Spencer Torkelson who made the the team he's going to be the starting first baseman for the Tigers um, and Cabrera gave him his glove in a ceremonious you know show of support and so forth. I have a hard time believing Pujols would have ever done something like that because he just, as great as he is, he's one of those guys. And if you read that article on him and the yeah. New York times, it talks about the fact that these old lions that you talked about the other day decided to take extra batting practice and all the young players that were getting dressed to go to their fancy cars quickly put their uniforms back on and went back out to take more batting practice to kind of um, to hang with these old guys who are, basically look down on the young players for not being as, you know, the, the, the beast that these guys have been throughout their entire careers. And there's a reason why they're going to the hall of fame. It's because they have that like Ryan Sandberg, like work ethic where they're the first ones there and the last ones to leave. And that's always been the case with Pujols. He just you know does what, it though, in a way that kind of rankles. You know what though there, there is. And, and now that you mention it, there is a sort of value that these, that these kind of, uh, I don't know, going away tours have and that people can come to the ballpark and say, Hey man, I saw a hall of famer play. Yeah, Cause right. I, I, it was the same thing. Like I remember uh, I saw Pedro Martinez pitch for the Phillies. He'd come back, you know, he was back with the Phillies after doing the Red Sox. He yeah. was sort of not great anymore, but it was still Pedro Martinez. For, for our younger fans, one of the greatest pitchers I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Oh yeah. And I'm like, that's Pedro Martinez, man. You know, it, it, it was, I even was, thrilled by it in the moment i remember being thrilled so uh, now all right quickly we need to get in our picks for this year yeah and what we'll Ready. do is tom i'm going to ask you your entire american league slate so you tell me your three division winners in the american league and your three wild card and then i will tell you mine and then in the next you'll give me yours for the national league and then i'll i'll close out with mine so right. in the american right. league east I have the Blue Jays in the Central. I have the White Sox. And in the West, I have the Angels. Um, my wildcard teams are the Yankees, the Twins, and Tampa Bay. Okay. Say that one more time. The, the, say it one more time. I was I got, I've got the Blue Jays in the East, the White Sox in the Central, the Angels in the West. And then my wildcard teams are the Yankees, the Twins, and Tampa Bay. Okay. All right. We're, we're, we're sort of in we're sort of in agreement. On, I, I too picked the Blue Jays and I picked the White Sox. I picked the Astros to repeat, and I said that my three wild card uh, teams would be the Angels, the Twins, and the Yankees. 
Nice. One from each division, one yeah. which was that was sort of. And so in the National League, I said the Dodgers. Brewers, oh, yeah, you're going oh, first. Go yeah, ahead. I'm going. So the Dodgers, Brewers, and the Braves will win their divisions, mm-hmm. and the Padres, Phillies, and the Rockies will be the wild card team. So you substitute the Mets for the Rockies, and our <laughs> lists are identical. So yeah. I have the same three Braves, Brewers, same, and Dodgers, yeah. but yeah. I have the Padres, Phillies, and Mets, not the Rockies. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, we'll, so we we've been incredibly wrong over the years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, nobody's more wrong than us. Spectacularly wrong um, in some instances. Um, so I don't expect anything different this year. However. I have to tell you that I expect big things from the White Sox this year. I know a lot of people don't, but I do expect big things from the White Sox. So I'll just leave it at that for right now. Well, we're going to, so, yeah, yeah. And let's we're, talk, let's we're, talk about Chicago baseball, but let's start with the Cubs. Yeah, and I, and I want to begin with an article uh, that was in The Athletic uh, about <laughs> Harry Carey and sort yeah. of the monumental night outs he used to have. And, and this is no secret. I mean, anybody who lived here in the 80s and the 90s, you know, knows about uh, what a great famous drunk he was, you know what I mean? If you were a baseball fan, um, but uh, trying to keep up with him on a night out was very, very difficult. But the reason why I bring this up is because you have a very famous Harry Carey story and you've told this before, yeah. but I think it's time to hear it again. <laughs> I put this in and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to put no, you on the spot. No, I, 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 I was prepared. I, it made okay. me think because whenever I read stuff like this, and also, before I tell this story, it's impressive what, what this man could do well into his late 60s. He would drink most people under the bar. And you and I knew some people that could really throw him back, including myself when I was a young man, no. but not no. in my <laughs> 60s. Yeah, it, right. that, I mean, he was he was an impressive specimen. So I moved here. You had a people. solid career. He was yeah. a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Even though uh, you'll find out why I learned to despise him. So. I moved here in 1985, uh, and that winter of 85, if you remember, the Bears went on to win the Super Bowl, but it was unbelievably cold. And so it was a Sunday night, and my girlfriend, who I moved here with, um, decided that she wanted some ice cream from the local White Hen, and I didn't have a choice. I, I didn't have to go. I had to go get it. Well, it was laundry night, and, and I had really nothing to wear. And she's like, I want this uh, chocolate mint or whatever it was. I had no choice. Um, and, and so I pieced together an outfit, and I walked up Clark Street, and it's snowing pretty hard. And it's, it's, it's Sunday night. It's hustling, bustling. And I get up to one of the famous restaurants that sadly is closed now, Kelly Mondelli's on Clark Street. Um, and as I'm approaching the doorway, Harry Carey with his entourage, if, if it could be in one like uh, entity, even though they were all individual people, but it seemed like they were stuck together and they right, just right. kind of folded out into the street right in front of me so that I'm staring right at Harry Carey. And Harry Carey looks at me in my mismatched clothes. And I was hoping no one would, no one yeah. knew me in town at this point. Yes. Hey! Look at that hat. Look at that hat. Have you ever, look, they give monkeys hats. Like, look at that hat. He kept going on and on. And of course, all of his hangers on and yes, men were, yeah, Harry, look at that. And they went the other way. Thank God. He was talking about that hat where it was ringing out into the night. I could hear it for blocks away. As I was trying to move them away from you and you're trying to get away. I'm trying to get away to get this, to get this, this woman or damn ice cream. and, And I'm just being humiliated. 
You know, yeah. I felt like I was walking down Clark Street naked. It was just a very bizarre moment. But after that, I never really cared for Harry anymore. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. But but the, but the but the nice thing about that moment is that the people who were around Harry at that time certainly don't blame you for it. You know no. what I mean? Oh, oh no. And they, they were all kind of laughing and yeah. smirking. They saw that. They laughed at that. First of all, if I was them, I would have made fun of it, too. I, yeah. You know, I, I look like a big, you know, a circus act, really. And um, but uh, the, reading that article on Harry, the thing I was taking with was just his endurance. Even after yeah. he had a stroke, they said they told him he could only have one beer, one, one drink. drink. And so he would buy one beer, one scotch, one yeah. whiskey, you know, and it, it, yeah. he just he was um, just only America, gonna, only America could produce a character like this guy. He was going to go out the way he was going to go out. Right. You know what right. I mean? So we want to mention that Seiya Suzuki hit his not 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 only his first home run in spring training as a Cub, but he also hit his second, uh, the second I happened to hear on the radio driving back from Costco yesterday, which yeah. was kind of fun. I got to hear Matt Spiegel talk about how he just basically crushed. Yeah. You know, well, the, fir the first one was crushed. I haven't seen them. Did you see them? Uh, I saw the first one. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It was, it, you know, well, for what we paid, I'm I, I, honestly, oh. it, he's in a tough position. Uh, you know, with, when Fukudomi joined the Cubs, I don't think the expectation was as high as it is uh, for this kid, only because of how much money was laid out for him. You know, you're, we're expecting 40 home runs out of the guy. That's that's a lot to put on a rookie coming well, into the major leagues. expecting 40 home runs. I am. It's, if he hits 20 and he hits 280, they'll be thrilled. You yeah, know true. I mean? that, that's true, but I am expecting big things, bigger than 20 home runs, because well, he, that's what he does. He's the Mike Trout of Japan. So, yeah. Well, we got to manage our expectations, but, yeah. but I don't want to dwell on the Cubs. We need to touch on the White Sox who trade Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers for A.J. Pollock, which I think is a good – that's a good trade. I mean, when you think about talent for talent, you know, Kimbrell I think still has great value. I don't think the White Sox ever used him properly. Correct. But, uh, but, but at the same time, you know, they get a solid uh, right-handed, albeit, uh, outfielder who can play a number of positions. He can play left. He can play right. He can play center. He knows how to do it. So in a pinch, he can replace, he can spell Robert out there. But the, but this represents an imbalance that the White Sox have in that they are just way too right-handed dominant. The only yeah. left-handed hitter in their lineup, well, apart from Mancata, is, um, is uh, Grandal. Yeah. And I think that that's, they're very, very weak with left-handed hitting. And that will be their undoing. Uh, if they don't address it. That that, that's, that's not my hot take on this trade. My hot take on this trade is that it's very unusual in baseball that you see two veteran players traded for each other that basically have the same value for the teams that are acquiring them. Meaning it's the, you know, the yeah. Dodgers are going to get better. And the, I think the White Sox are going to get way better defensively. Remember, um, uh, this he guy, helps. this guy won a gold glove in 2015. His defense over the last three years has gone down a little bit. I was looking at it on baseball reference this morning. Um, however, it's an upgrade from a, yeah. that, to me. Upgrade. It's not about right handers and you're right. They are right handed dominant. The problem that this team suffers from is that to a certain degree, they can't field the baseball. You know, they have a great center fielder who has to run in both directions, right and left, 
uh, to, to cover up for the, especially the, the guy in left field who the, the, the author of this article said he wear, he doesn't even have to wear a glove for the, for how Amenis? poorly he, yeah. Amenis doesn't even need to wear a glove for how poorly he, he feels the position. He might so, as well not be, right. You know, so, and, and so they have too many DHs. Yeah. They're all, well, they always have, but I, I still think this is a powerhouse team. And a lot of people are criticizing the Sox because, um, you know, they let, uh, Ro- uh, Rodon go. Um, and, and, but I think Kopech is going to, is going to equal a uh, Rodon. That's what I be the equal of, well, I mean, if he is the equal of Rodon last year and can, that's the thing, he's so fragile. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. He's like yeah. the Maserati that just is always has right. You know, that's correct. Misfiring, you can't quite get it to you know to run the way it's supposed to run, and and that's what's going to be difficult for them. You know, now mind you, I'm I'm trying to be as objective as possible about this, but see the thing is when you have a lineup that's so right-handed dominant, what will happen is there'll be instances and stretches where they just bash other teams' brains out that's with right. their bats, that's but they'll right. come across a team that will completely be able to counter, you know, to be able to use that all right-handed thing against them. You know what I mean? Well, you, I, you know, think of the, the Astros because the Astros and now the Astros have Verlander back another dominant right-handed pitcher. That just doesn't, that's not good for, for teams like the Sox. Cause you're right. They can't be, um, you can't be that dominant. So maybe there's going to be another trade or so on the horizon. Cause it seems like they're ripe for it. That being said, I think the Sox, have are going to have a big year and part of it is because um this deadspin article that i sent you they're they're all they're very cantankerous right now the the socks are really you know as you like to say they have very shiny red asses right now. they do they do this the white socks the white socks themselves and the white socks fans are the biggest sore heads in america they really are. They're just always angry about something. And, and part of it is the Cubs inferiority complex. Yeah. That, that it's a, it, there's, a, there's a, a pathological sort of inferiority complex that they have in comparison to the Cubs fans who are just sort of happy to have a baseball team at all. You know what I mean? And, and so the White Sox sort of, for some reason, get mad about that. Yeah. I don't know why, but they do. And they get mad about so many other things. And then Larusa gets mad and they ask him about an injury. And he said, well, you know, if you don't think that we have what we need to win it all right now, well, you're just not a White Sox fan, you right. know, and, and, and then I, two seconds later, he's asleep <laughs> in his chair. <laughs> I, just, I mean, but, but this is what you get when Tony LaRusse is your manager. And, yeah. you know, he, and also what was really funny is that his old team brings back, he was going with uh, delight that the Cardinals had brought back pool holes. You know, he was just, yeah. Oh, that's just so great that they did that. So they're uh, always, the white Sox are interesting. Um, I, one often wonders why they do the things that they do. And one hopes that they will do well this year, but, uh, but you know, the, the, like, one, one last thing, the author does point out the fact that it's unnecessary for the Sox to be cantankerous. They have, they have a lot going for them that, that a lot of other teams would be kind of in, Hey, we're building towards a title mode. The Sox yeah. seem to be still have that chip on their shoulder. You know, well, they, no they, they won't let also the media, it doesn't help that the media will not let it go that La Russa actually chastised a player last year for hitting a home run. Yeah. Like they bring that up every single time that yeah. why, you know, La Russa maybe has outlived his, you know, his, his born on dating, whatever you want to call it. Um, about things like that. In other words, they picked the wrong battles to fight. 
That's they do. They do pick the wrong battles to fight, and they make things more complicated than they should be, and that's too bad, you know. But uh, but let's put away the the pe- the peanuts. I'm really I'm my mouth is very dry. I'm going to have a little sip of water. My mom says, when I miss her, I should look at the moon because she'll be looking at it too. She's been working in America for four years, so she can bring me there soon. Carlitos? Mommy! Can you help me? Nuts in Cinema Paradiso. Buenas, buenas. Has a film captured the hearts of audiences around the world. Fox Searchlight Pictures and the Weinstein Company present. Rosario, it's emergency. Carlitos. Why don't you come with us, all right? No. Hey! Let's go. Ticket to Los Angeles. I'm going to see my mom. A story of the bond between a mother and son under the same moon. And we're going to open up the bag of popcorn and the, 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 I want to I want to talk about what happened before we get to our movie about yeah. what happened at the Oscars with Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith and Chris Rock and I want to ask you what you thought of this event because well, I have it, my opinions. So I, you know, like most Americans, I was in bed sleeping when this occurred uh, and saw it the next day. Um, but I I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. Um, first of all. The joke was lame. Chris Rock, you are a world-class comedian. He's one of, when you talk about the top 10, he's in the discussion. So the joke you made was lame. But if you got hit in the face for every time you told a bad joke, I would have been pummeled to death years ago. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I mean, think about this. But I'm on Team Rock, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, you you have trod the boards. You have actually done stand-up comedy. That's right, that's correct. But yeah. the thing is, and I've been football, slapped many times by the audience. Well, <laughs> and, and, and if and I was thinking about this in terms of Chris Rock, as far as being a comedian and representing the profession of comedians right. in that guys have been wanting to take a slap at comedians for centuries. This goes back to Correct. the court jesters, you know, in, in Henry VIII. You know what I mean? Comedians have been getting whacked in the face for a long, long right. time. Well, heck, heckling comedian, is an art form. It is an art form. But if you're a comedian and and you had to get hit in the face by somebody, yes. I mean, I guess you could do worse than than have Will Smith do it. Well, so if you're going to take one for the team, you know what I mean, Chris Rock, you did it, and and that moment was monumental. I, you know I, I mean? would agree. I, I also want to say that he handled it with absolute class. There's no question, um, and I but I expected that. But I I I would be a bit elated if Will Smith would have hit me because I'm thinking. I'm going to get some of that Will Smith money now. Oh God. I mean, yeah, but I mean, but, uh, but, but, you know, it was a, it was an incredible moment, but I also think that the Oscars to a certain degree have sort of lived past their shelf life. have gone past their shelf life. It's the, this, this event is unduly tense. It's the tensest moment. I think that you could find on the planet, all these rich, famous, powerful people straining with all of their might to be, to look, to be perfect, to look yeah. perfect, to, to give the perfect reaction because of all those cameras that are on them and all those microphones, 
recording everything and then sending it out to all these platforms right, right. to be digested and twisted. And well, it's a big, it's a big business. They're promoting <laughs> products here. They're, they're, this is about sales and money is really what this is about. And, it is, it's- but it's also a live event and unpredictable things yes, can happen. Yes. You know what I mean? This is like, this is like uh, your uncle who got drunk at your wedding. You know what I mean? And he came on to the bride's mother and then he fell into the punch bowl. You know, yeah, what I mean? this, well, this was this was this was poor, um, uh, poor display here. And and yes. if you think about for years, this event was hosted basically by Bob Hope and, and Johnny Carson. And and they were, you know, very rarely become controversial events. They were they, they pretty much went with, you know, one time there was a streaker. That was a major thing. One time, you know, Marlon Brando sent. A, a, a U.S. American Indian to pick Native up this, American, yeah, yeah. and and half the yeah. audience basically ridiculed her at the time because they were so conservative back then. They're still conservative today. There's a lot of people today, uh, or or after this event occurred, that were kind of wringing their hands with Will Smith, you know. And but, and I but, do believe I do believe Will Smith is going to take a hit financially from this. He is going to take a hit financially, and that's the problem here is that that uh, the sum of two men's careers. Yeah. will will be reduced to this moment. And I think that that's awful because neither of them have done anything that they shouldn't be forgiven for. Well, you know, Will Smith has made a lot of bad movies, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> that, that is not true. But, but <laughs> okay, okay, okay. If I had to get jiggy with it, I mean, I have oh, to no, say no. that. But, but, but if I were the Academy, you know, the Academy is like so worried about how they adjudicate this. And, and Smith yeah, went on yeah. and he resigned from the Academy. And I don't know what that means. I mean, maybe it means you don't get an invitation next year. No, but... no, that's not what it means. It means you can't vote. That's all that it means. It doesn't what? mean anything. Oh, that you can't make a vote. You, you, don't, a vote. you don't vote. You no longer vote on the movies. Okay. So well, what? Who cares? So what? He's a I half mean, a billionaire. But if I were the Academy, I would say, look, Mr. Rock, Mr. Smith, those were poor choices. Yeah. Let's yeah. try to do better next year. Up to no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rock Hold did on. nothing wrong. Rock did nothing wrong. He told a bad joke. Yes, that's what he's guilty of. <laughs> you know what he's guilty of is what I would say to my to my middle school students. Was it true? Was it kind? And was it necessary, Mr. Rock? Yeah, and let me tell you, Mr. Fontana, that, yeah. that's not how comedy works, buddy. It's never kind. It that's never will how- be kind. That's how behavior management works at the middle school level. And I think what this situation requires is a good assistant principal. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, an HR department. What you do is, what you do is you recognize that the (laughs) referral had a a consequence. Yeah. Okay. And you- Actions have consequences. You give them, look, give them in-school suspension for a day and let them go back to class. Because that's really what- if that happened in the cafeteria of my school, that's what the kids would get. Well, if, if based on how we do things today, they should take away his Oscar and give him a participation medal. If if you don't take away, <laughs> if you don't take away, if you don't, if you take away Smith, if you don't take away Harvey Weinstein's Oscar no, for I know. raping, that, hey, don't, hey, don't try equivalent. This is not the same thing. I'm sorry. And, and and by the way, Will Smith shouldn't lose his Oscar. And nor and and what do you you know? Here's his penalty. Every year, the following year, when you win the Oscar, you give out the the opposite gender's best supporting actor or best actor right. award. You don't get to do it. 
that that's your penalty. Let's move on. And also if I'm Chris Rock, I assume for $100 million and that money goes to like, you know, Black Lives Matters, uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity, for, uh, you know, uh, for, for the dogs and the cats in the world. That's what I would do. I would sue them for $100 million, take that $100 million and, and pay all the lawyers' fees and then give them to those charities. That's what I would do. That's re- no, no, that's not what you do. Oh, Here's yeah. what. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Because it's a make-believe I, world. I could do it. It's a make-believe world, but... <laughs> Don't you can't look at this in terms of money because because Tom, oh, 30 yeah. years from now, these guys are gonna be on stage. One guy's gonna have his walker, the other guy's gonna be, you know, Will Smith's oh, gonna be yeah. in a wheelchair, and they're gonna be hugging and weeping and crying, and everybody's gonna be standing and applauding. And you know the reason gonna, why is because yeah. there's gonna be an evolution, and by then people will be shooting people up on the no, stage no, and they'll no. be hiding from the bullets. <laughs> it, it, Anyways. The Oscars, I think, needs to just because do you take even a chill know what, pill? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Take a chill they, pill. They need to take a chill pill because what are they even celebrating, Tom? Yeah. Do they yeah. celebrate movie making, storytelling, fashion? You know, what are they? You know, you know what George C. Scott used to say about Racial the Oscars? It, 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 it's a cattle. It's all it is is you're judging cattle. That's what you're doing. Well, I I, I just think that it, it's. It needs to go away for a while, but, but the New, the New York, the New York times this week said that it, you're seeing it die right before our very eyes that the Oscars, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I see no reason why they should continue with this. I mean, it's it, the most stressful event. Nobody wants to do the Oscars. Nobody wants to host the Oscars. You know, I know it, that is true. They, you know, it, you know, who should be the permanent host is Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Cause well, and, and but he people don't like him because he's even worse than Chris Rock. So he's, yeah, he's far worse than Chris Rock. And that's the thing, though, because Gervais set the precedent by walking on that edge between what's acceptable and what isn't and being provocative. He's, and so I he's, think he's comedians will always rise to that occasion. You know, yeah. they'll rise to that challenge. And, and I respect Rock's right to make whatever jokes he wants to make. I just think it's hilarious that the next day his shows have sold out across the country. He's adding shows, the slap tour. But I do think at different points for the rest of my life, when my brother gets on my nerves on the boat, I probably will say, I'm going to slap you like Chris Rock if you don't knock that off. That's going to become a metaphor. You know, and, and, and it's so, going to be a meme. It'll be a meme, you know. Yeah, with, yeah. that's yeah. why I think he's got to get the hundred million and get yeah. it to his charities as soon as possible. All but right, anyways. all right. So, so let's let's go ahead and talk about the movie for this week that yeah. that I chose, and it's uh, under the same moon in Spanish. The title is Bajo la misma luna, and the movie is 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 done in, bo- in two languages. It's in English and Spanish, and it's about. Uh, a boy, Carlitos, by the age of uh, nine years old, or uh, who makes the journey across the border by himself to be reunited with his mother. Because now, his grandmother movie, died. Because yeah, his grandmother died. And we'll get into the specifics of the plot in a moment. But I want to ask you directly what you thought of this movie, because you hadn't seen it before. Is that No, I, I didn't. And, and let, me, let me just start by saying I appreciate um, you kind of exposing films. This is a movie I never would have watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> ultimately I give it three stars. I like the film. Um, my observations are, are this. The first shot in the film, <clears throat> or one of the first shots, the mother was on a payphone. And the payphone is an integral part of the plot. Right. There are no more payphones. There are no I, more payphones. And, and yeah. I thought, that, nothing to me, happens. Was, 
Yeah. And this is from 2007. And I was like shocked to think like, you know, payphones used to play such a big role in society, people waiting outside of them and all kinds of issues around that. Um, This is a pre-smartphone movie. Yes. This movie, none of the the problems in this movie could easily be solved, you know, in this era because the the parties would have smartphones and they'd they'd have geolocation, but go ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, basically this, this small boy, Carlito, and at one point I was calling this movie Carlito's Way Part Two, because basically the story is like the incredible journey, but with Mexican people basically uh, trying to get from Mexico, which happens every day, obviously. And it's sad. The whole the whole Mexican Underground Railroad thing is is devastating to watch. And and the the director does a really good job of kind of laying that out. Um, But this little boy, the the gist of the story, like you said, is he lives with his grandmother in Mexico while his mother left to come to Los Angeles to 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 have a better life for their family to send money back. She sends money $300 back every month to, to Mexico, which is a lot of money in Mexico. And basically this is a common theme for a lot of people, um, you know, in Mexico and near that border. Um, uh, we, uh, we, we kind of touched on it in the film we watched last year, touch of evil. Um, you know, the whole Mexican U S border, uh, issue, which, um, like I said, it, it's, it, it's very interesting. This small boy who does this incredible journey to try to meet with his mother one week after he gets this call, because he knows exactly where she calls him every week. He can even describe the buildings because over the years she's said, she's Hey, I'm right in front of a subway restaurant. Yeah, right. I'm right near a mural on a wall. And he starts to keep track of these things and he knows exactly where he was going to go. You know, as a viewer, how this is going to end. There's no way that this could not end only one one way. And so I thought the film sagged in the middle, but otherwise it was a great story. And I really did like the movie and I give it three stars. Um, the, the, the actress that played um, the mother, whose Rosario. name is yeah. uh, Kate Rosario. Del Castillo, yeah. is is just breathtakingly beautiful. Well, she's the woman who brought down El Chapo Guzman, if you remember. Yeah, Chapo Guzman yes. was so enamored with Kate Del Castillo right. that he would uh, make uh, they would send messages to each other, and then the Federales and the FBI yeah. and so on. I get, I get it. I was taken with her too. <laughs> she, she, and she is beautiful in this. Yeah. And you know, you see the immigrant experience in the United States from so many different perspectives. You know what I mean? Here she is living illegally in the United States. She has two jobs, three jobs. Yeah. She makes dresses. She right. cleans a woman's house. She takes care of a kid and she lives in a garage, basically sends money back to Mexico, talks to her son one day a week on yeah. Sunday yeah. at 10 o'clock. And, and, and when, when his grandmother dies, he decides to make his way across the border. He hides in the seat of a car. And so they're crossing the border in the middle of the desert and the car is impounded with the boy inside the seat in the middle of the desert. He gets through that and he avoids being sold into white slavery by this drug addict who, you know, and so there are all these things that almost happened to him, all these things that could, all these dangers he could fall into, but he falls in with some good people who end up taking care of him. And then he meets Eugenio Derbez, a very young, Eugenio Derbez. Who is, who is great in this film, by the yeah. way. Yeah, who is unbelievable. The sensitivity that he has when he first meets Carlitos, he's like, what is this kid fucking doing out here? Right, right. Which is the way you would have reacted to. 
<laughs> exactly. He's like, what? I cannot. He's like, I am not going to take care of this kid. But what ends up happening is. I know. He's just taking care of the exactly. kid. And, and, and he and, and there's some he, he, look, he looks at the kid and he goes, well, you're like gum on my shoe. Yeah, like, Leave me alone. We what are we like? What are we going to do next? He's like, we. Yeah, exactly. He's like, get the fuck away from me. And but but in the end, they get a job together, you know, and he introduces him. They find actually Carlitos, his father, who abandons him a second time. Yeah. Right. And finally, uh, Enrique. Is, is, is forced to bring him all the way to Los Angeles to find his mother because, you know, after that, Enrique's like, I'm done. I got to get to New York City. That's where I'm headed. And so he brings him to Los Angeles. They sleep in a park. And there's that just tremendous moment yeah. where he goes to get him coffee. He leaves Carlitos alone and the cops right. find Carlitos in the park very early in the morning. And he, he commits a sacrifice, basically. He sacrifices himself, forces. Yep. yep police officers to, to, to capture and arrest him. So Carlitos can get away. And, and it's just, there's a moment with their eyes, you know, they, their eyes catch each other and he smiles at him. He's like, go, it's all right. You can go. And he goes and it's beautiful. You know, I, I got to tell you at that point in the film, I, I wrote, I always write notes and I, my notes here say I would cut 20 minutes of this film. Uh, I would have cleaned up the end a little bit better, but there is a great moment where they actually walk down the street and she's sitting yeah. at, the, at the bus stop right in yeah. front of them. Yeah. And, and, they're, looking, and thought, they're like, they're going to different corners in East LA going, is it this one? Well, this one has dominoes and this one has a mural and they yeah, walk yeah. by a bus stop and she's five feet away from them. Right. And, and, and I always show this movie to my students. Yes. And when that happens, they all just go, <gasps> right freak out it's really but but there were some plot devices that occurred leading up to that that i thought were just i don't know i I wrote down unbelievable lives on preposterous street and so again it's okay that's okay i I still give it three stars i still give it three stars it's a beautiful movie i mean how about the movie where where they, they get the ride from the musicians los tigres del norte oh yeah that's that's, that's the sweetest moment in the movie uh that song they sing? I can yeah. sing that song from memory. Please don't. But, 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 yeah, you know, hey, this is a very early hour. There are people that are eating breakfast. Uh, so, But it's a beautiful moment. He, he, they sing about trying to cross the border, and they really speak to Carlitos' experiences. It, that, that is a beautiful moment. And they, you know what that happens in that moment? That's when Enrique, he, he discovers his morality. He discovers yes. that he needs to do the that in the fact that he discovers that his his the boy's mother is pretty damn hot when he sees yeah. a picture of her. But yeah. In fact, he completely changed after he saw that picture of her. But by the way, I would have too, just yeah. to be honest. But yeah. uh, Eugenio Derbez is worth calling out again, who was so yeah. great in Coda, um, yeah. has had quite the career. And, and what I didn't know was this guy, um, he's beloved. In, 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 Mexico, in, Mexi- yeah. in Mexican cinema. Yeah. I, I did not, and he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which as well I, as if you put a gun to my head, I would have never have known that. And, right, as well as he should. Um, but so- And here he's young too. Like he's all cut and buff. Correct, you know correct. what I mean? He, he, he was a different, that's what's kind of cool is you just see his evolution. Now he's he, got a dad bod. Yeah, now he's got a dad bod. But, but you know- <laughs> He's cool. I, I really like his touch. And, 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 hey, one last thing too: the U.S. paramour of uh, of 
of Carlos's mother um, looked like if Randy oh, Montooth and Alexis Arguello had a child. Yeah. I, I kept, <laughs> but Paco is 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 remarkable. Thank you, Paco. Thank you. He's remarkably understated because what happens is uh, that great scene where you know here he is. He's about to marry Rosario so she yeah. can get her papers and live in the United States legally. Right, They're about right. to get married. And she says, you know what? At the last minute, I can't do it. I can't marry you for this reason. And so he handles that with a lot of class. He does. You, know, he does. A lot of Mexican class you can tell he's crushed. He's cr exactly. Yeah. He was he's crushed. crushed. Every but man then, would be crushed. But then he tricks her. He does a little. He tricks her by being very charming. And he pretends that he doesn't know how to dance. And so yes. she sort of as a favor to him, says, well, come on, dance with me. I really like this song. And, and it turns out he could dance like Fred Astaire. Correct. You know I mean? Correct. So that charms her. At, at least like Alexis Arguello anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I, <laughs> listen, I think in a lot of ways, it's a beautiful movie. I, I cry almost every time I see it. Do you really? Yeah, I do. I, 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 it didn't elicit that. Uh, did you cry when you saw Coda? Yeah. Because oh, Coda, yeah. Coda oh, got yeah. the tears out of me at the end. Oh, yeah. I, was, I couldn't yeah. help it. Yeah, uh, Coda, anyway. Coda crushed me. Oh, yeah. But I cry. You know what? I, every time I see it, I'm always seeing it with like 17 other people, my students. Yeah. You and know what uh, movie made me cry was the movie W. W? I, oh, okay. Okay. I never saw it. I never saw it. But well, uh, let me but, save you some time. Don't waste your time. But all right. Anyways, I have a film for us for next. Yeah, week. I want to hear what it is. So to kind of keep this theme going on that you started here. Next week, we are going to watch the 1984 John Huston directed Under the Volcano, which is based okay. on the Malcolm okay. Lowry novel of... All right. All right. Looking forward to that. And so until then, we are the two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall. <laughs>